0: If you can. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you on this rainy mid-November, half nothing between nothing Sunday, and you got out of bed and you came to church. I hope and pray that you will be blessed. Amen. You, amen. amen. Now, I want to talk to you today about upside-down happiness. If you happen to be here uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was speaking as well, and I was talking about the pursuit of happiness. And the point I was making in that sermon was this, that Whatever we think our happiness is, whatever it is that we think we are pursuing to make us happy, God has another purpose and God has another plan. And we looked at a guy called Solomon. Solomon was the richest, wisest, most influential king of his time. And he spared himself nothing. He didn't spare himself any desire he ever wanted. He had wine, women, song, property, projects. He did absolutely everything. And in the end, he said it was all meaningless. Everything that he chased, everything he was told would make him happy, turned out to be absolutely meaningless. And in the end, Solomon sums up his book of Ecclesiastes, which is his reflection on life, if you will. He sums up in this way. He says, here is my final conclusion in the whole matter. This is what man should do. He should fear God and obey his commandments. That's it. He says all of that will come man's truest happiness. I want to talk to you today however about upside down happiness. Now it continues on a little bit and the the reason is this. I think that we in our own selves sometimes have our idea of happiness upside down. We think we know what would make us happy. I know I think I know what would make me happy. Let me tell you what makes me happiest of all. Getting my own way. Hallelujah. I'm never happier than when I get my own way. And when I get what I want. Hallelujah. Is it any wonder he's so happy he gets everything he wants? I think that's what would make me happy. And I think we all have, if you will, an agenda in our lives. That is an agenda where we have comfort and plenty and we are pain free and we've got lots of friends and no trouble. That's our agenda for happiness. But I wanna say to you this morning that I think God's agenda for happiness might actually be the other way around. Our truest happiness might actually be not in the comfort and the care and the painlessness or in getting our own way. It may actually be the other way around. I want to look this morning at a couple of passages of scripture, a couple of verses in scripture. Uh, I'm gonna put up three short passages in scripture which I think point to what I'm calling counterintuitive happiness. And that is, when we look at these verses, the situations that the writers are describing are not what should make us happy. So if you know what if you know what intuitive is, it means what we instinctively think is right. These verses are counterintuitive. They go in the opposite direction to what we think would make us happy. Is that okay with you? We're gonna look at those in a second, but we're gonna pray first. Would you stand with me? We're gonna pray that God's voice would speak to us this morning. I invited the 10 o'clock service to do it. I'm going to ask you to do the same. You can do the same if you want to online. I'm going to ask you, would you put one hand on your heart and one hand on your head? No, I've only got one hand free, so I just put mine in my heart for the moment. And I'm going to ask you, we pray. Father in heaven, I pray that as we look at your word this morning, it will not only change the way that we think, but it will change the way that we feel. Lord, I pray this morning, as we look at your word, it would speak to us. We pray that your Holy Spirit, would capture some of these, your living words, and apply them right to our hearts, and right to our minds, and right to our lives. We pray, Lord, we would walk out fuller and not emptier, happier and not sadder, stronger and not weaker, in Jesus' name. and God's people, say, take your seats, brothers and sisters, while I drone on for another small while. Okay. Let me start off with this verse. This is from James. James was the brother of Jesus Christ himself. He was his natural physical brother. This is what he wrote in the early New Testament to the early New Testament Christians. Here he writes this. He says, dear brothers and sisters, that's everyone, who everyone, all of us. When troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. When troubles of any kind, not big troubles, not small troubles, not intermediate troubles, not specific troubles, but troubles of any kind come your way. Consider it an opportunity for great joy because you are a masochist. <laughs> and you like suffering pain and trouble. Do you think that that's where he was going? No. Do you think that's where he was going? He says, consider an opportunity for great joy. Now, and the reason st- I want to start off with this verse specifically because I remember when I read this. When I was a young Christian, I was a Christian maybe only three weeks. It was one of the first books of the Bible I read. And I remember opening it, and I opened these first lines. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, you consider an opportunity for great joy. And I said to myself, James, are you on drugs? <laughs> are you kidding me? You want me to be happy when trouble comes? No one is happy when trouble comes unless they've gotten problems of some form. There's something wrong with you if you're happy when trouble comes. But let's see what he continues to say. He says, for you know, you know, and this is the thing, you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Amen. He goes on. Oh. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Let it Grow. Let your endurance get more and more. When I started running many years ago, I still run today but not as far because I I woke up. When I started running, years, I could run maybe two miles before. <laughs> But eventually, within a year and a half, I ran a marathon, 26.2 miles. Ran the whole distance because my endurance grew through continually practicing and exercising. Are you with me? That's what endurance looks like and I'm sure many of us here have experienced that. Now I know what you're thinking, right? I get up on a rainy, gray, mid-November, Sunday morning and then come into church. And that fellow up on top of the stage starts talking about endurance, I'm so glad I came to church today. I've already endured coming to church, and know I have to endure listening to him as well. I'm in on endurance. You see, God is interested in something in your life that we sometimes take for granted. He's interested in something more, you see, when we pray, we believe that God gives us good things. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. When we, when we pray, we ask God, God to do good things, open doors for us, amen? Amen. amen? God does those things. He loves to bless His people. Amen. He loves to do it. Yes. But He's interested in something else. Here's the writer, Rick Warren. He's a writer, he's a pastor, he is the founding pastor of a church called Saddleback in California, USA. An amazing guy with an amazing story and with a tragic story. He's got a great story, his story. We will tell that, we'll talk about that some other day maybe. But here's what he wrote. About for, two Christians about the Christian life. He said this. He said, much confusion in the Christian life comes from ignoring the simple truth that God is far more interested in building your character than he is in anything else. He's more interested in your character than he is in anything else. Whether you're rich or poor, whether you're blind or lame, whether you're black or white, whether you're male or female, whether you're an adult or your child, God is more interested in your character than anything else. Could I get an amen? Amen. Amen. Because he is. Because he is. Because that's the thing that's going to last. Your character is the thing about you that's going to last into Eternity. Everything else in your life is going to fall away. Sometimes things in your life just fall off, and that's what happens. Ask Tom. In May, <laughs> ask me. Yeah. Things just fall apart and fall off and go their own way eventually. But it's your character that will last forever. And so God is interested in creating character. Now how does he create character in our lives? Hallelujah. I'm so glad I came to church today. How does he do it? Well let's look at what Paul writes to the Roman Christians. Young Christians in Rome. This is what he writes to them. He says we can rejoice also when we run into problems and trials. Thank you Paul. For we know that they help us to develop Endurance. We know in our own hearts and souls, we know spiritually, we know it psychologically, we know that when, we, uh, when we're in a situation that to try and get out of every trial and trouble is not good for us because we'll never be strong people. And God wants us to be strong people. Can I get an amen to that? He wants us to be strong in faith. He wants us to be spiritually strong. He wants us to be emotionally strong. He wants us to be relationally strong. And how do we become strong? By going through problems and trials. It's not very pleasant, but it's how it happens. He goes on to say this. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. In other words, when we keep going, despite the trials and the troubles that come into our lives, and by the way, let me ask you this. Is there anybody here who doesn't have any problems? Anybody who doesn't have any problems? No, no, I I know it's dark, but I'll see your hand. Put your hand up if you have no problems. Yeah, you see? Everybody here has problems. Let me tell you this. If you go to a funeral, there's only one person at that funeral doesn't have a problem. That's the fill-in-the-box. He's the only one who doesn't no have problems. He's the only one who doesn't have troubles. He's the only one who doesn't have trials. Every single life has troubles and trials and problems. And God uses those troubles and trials and problems to shape who you are. That's what he does. He says it's strengthens our confident hope of salvation. If you will, God uses what's happening to you To shape what's happening in you. He uses what's happening to you to shape what's happening in you. He goes on to say this. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. And again he says it. We get it Paul. For we know how dearly God loves us. Because he's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his Love. He's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. I love what C.H. Spurgeon, the Christian writer, said we need to be being filled, continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Can we pray for the filling of the Holy Spirit now? Where you're sitting, will you raise a hand? Let's pray, Father in heaven, we ask that your Holy Spirit, which is here in this room now, it's already speaking and prompting and moving on people's lives and hearts and bringing their attention, Lord, we pray, fill us again with your Holy Spirit, Lord, I pray again that we will be filled with your power, Lord Jesus, Lord, we will be filled with your insight, Lord, we will be filled with the strength of God so that we can carry out the work that God has called us to do, we pray that in Jesus' name, we pray that in Jesus' name, for we know it. We know, we know it already. We know that all these things are actually good for us, but we just don't like them. And we don't really want them in our lives. We'd once rather be done with them. We'd much rather get them all of our lives and have an easy life. Who doesn't want an easy life? I want an easy life. But that's not how God works. He works in a different way. He works and uses our situations to change us. We are, in a in sense, being transformed by the trials that we go through and that we walk through. I was talking to a woman here in church two weeks ago. I'd spoken about the pursuit of happiness and I was talking about how God's happiness is for us. And I was having a conversation with this lady and it's very interesting. And I, she said to me, she, I said, how are you? No, I no, don't, don't want to say her name. She said, she said, and I've known her for many years. She's a great Christian girl, great Christian woman. And I spoke to her and said, said uh, I said, how are you doing? She said, you know, I loved your message this morning. She said, but i got to tell you this. She said, I know that I should be happy, but I feel miserable. So I thought, oh, well, that's the first rebuke I got in the wild. So I'll be <laughs> praise the Lord. I got a good rebuke. But then I said to this person, I said, let's call her Mary. I said, Mary? I know you for a long time. You're a happy person, and then she said, "Actually, you're right. I'm actually a very happy person." I said, "You still got problems and trials, right?" She said, "Yes, they do." I said, "But you're a happy person, right?" She said, "Yes." So what? Do you know what that tells me? It tells me that your feelings are terrible liars. They're desperate liars. I don't feel happy, but you are happy. There's times when I don't feel happy, but I'm still a deeply happy person. Are you with me? You see all the people, Tom referenced them, I was going to reference in the earlier service, all the people who leave church, I, I told the story about the cult, the cults in Cork, that somebody was looking for cults in Cork and somebody said, I think there's a cult up on McCurton Street. This is why do you see this? said, because all the people coming over there are way too happy, it must be a cult, like, it has to be a cult. But do you think that all the people who walk out the door here, by God's grace, happy on a Sunday morning, have all their problems solved? No. no, they don't. But they know this. God has his hand on their lives. They know this. God is at work in their lives. They know this. God is not finished with them yet. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. For we know how dearly God loves us because he's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. And then sometimes we go through testing times. Times where literally tested. Peter, later in the New Testament, is writing again to young Christians who had actually gone through genuine tests. Some of them had been persecuted. Some of them had been executed for their faith. Many of them had had their property confiscated and stolen from them because they were Christians, because they said, Jesus is the king and we will not serve another king other than the king who is Jesus. And so they were executed for it. God's grace, we never live to see that days, but who knows, brothers and sisters, who knows? But they were put through testing times, and he writes this to those early Christians. This is what he says. He says, be truly glad. <laughs> More happiness than leave living <laughs> alone. Be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead. Even though you must endure many trials for how long? A for a little while. It's only a short while. However long the trials that you experience... You, however long they feel to you in the overall grand scheme of things, they are a very little while. Paul wrote to the Corinthian church and he said these, these light and momentary troubles that we have. And boy, he had troubles that would make my troubles look like teddy a bears, teddy bear's picnic. He had real troubles, he said. But these light and momentary troubles are winning for us an eternal glory that will vastly outweigh them all. Amen. That's why he, he said we need to have perspective. Our troubles, we must endure them for a little while. And he says, these trials show that your faith is genuine. If you're in the middle of a trial and wondering, God, why is this happening to me? Why must I go through this experience? Let me tell you. Let me give you some good news. If you're thinking like that, it means that your faith is genuine. God has given you a genuine faith. Your faith is real. You don't need to look at yourself in the mirror and say, am I really a Christian? You're really a Christian. If you're concerned about the struggles and trials and you're asking God, Lord, why am I in this? It's a sign that your faith is genuine. Your faith is being tested as fire tests and purifies, purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. I love that. Your faith is far more precious. I know he says we're being tested as fire. Do you know, I tell you that here's the truth that you learn somewhere along the line of life. We don't change when we see the light. We change when we feel the heat. When we face the consequences of our choices and our decisions. When the heat comes on, that's when we change. Amen. I knew a person many years ago, um, they'd been a smoker most of their lives, and they were now in their 50s, and even though the public health campaigns had warned Uh, People. I mean, there was a great public health campaign going on in Ireland even at that time, warning people that you must stop smoking because smoking will kill you. You can get cancer, lung cancer, heart disease, stroke, high blood pressure—all these things. And this person would sit through watching ads on TV, having a cigarette while the ad was saying that cigarette is killing you. Oh, is it? That's fine, isn't it? I'm not worried about it. But then one day, this person, whom I love, got a heart attack—a very bad heart attack. And so you know what happened? He never smoked again. Not even one more cigarette. Not one more cup. It was all over. He didn't change when he saw the light. He changed when he felt the heat. And sometimes God allows heat in our lives to change us. To purify us. He doesn't send problems into our lives, but he does allow problems to, pro- to correct us, and to protect us, and to direct us, and to change us. That's what he does in our lives. Is, are, are you with me so far? Okay, I haven't lost you yet. You see, when I was a child, just a small child, I was dumb. Joseph, my brother Joseph, he's the brains of the operation. But I was the dumb child. I got the no brains at all from nobody. And I was, so I remember watching my mother ironing when I was a kid, you see. And every time she did ironing at home, she would say to me, if I was with her, she'd say, don't touch the iron, it's very hot. So every time she ironed, she'd say, don't touch the iron, it's very hot. And this was going on, for a couple of years. You'd see her ironing stuff and she'd iron and say, don't touch the iron, it's very hot. Don't touch it. So one day, we were at home and she was ironing and she stopped ironing, put the iron back on the, on, on the little rack at the end and said don't touch the iron, it's very hot and then she left to do something, I don't know what she did, to, what she left to do, but she left to do and then all that was left was just me <laughs> <laughs> and the iron. <laughs> and I was like Eve in the garden of Eve and the iron began to say to me. Does your mother really mean I'm that hot? Huh? <laughs> I mean, really that hot? Huh? What can be that hot huh, that you can't touch it? And so I began to listen as the iron said, "Come, oh, touch me." And so I came closer. And I reached out my hand. BANG! I felt a shock through my body from that touch of that iron. Right from the top. I can literally, physically feel it now. I just went, ah! And of course my brother said, what happened? Nothing. But I never touched an iron again. To this day, look at the wrinkles, never touched an iron again. That is of the devil. Of the devil. And I have to tell you this, that every time since then, and that's 40 plus years ago, it's longer, it's 45, it's almost 50 years ago. Anytime somebody says to me, don't touch that, it's hot, I go, okay, no problem. don't worry, I'm going to Georgia. Never touch the hot thing again. I can go, and I'm, I'm, I'm cautious around radiators. Is that thing hot? Because you know why? When you touch something hot, you don't need to be told about fire and heat anymore. Yeah. You learn that lesson really quickly. J.R.R. Tolkien writes in The Lord of the Rings, it's the burned hand that teaches us best. And after that, all lessons about fire go straight into our hearts. And so we're careful. Because we change when we feel the heat, not necessarily when we see the light. And so if God has allowed a bit of heat into your life, all I can say to you is say, praise God. Praise God because God is at work. He's genuine and interested in changing who you are. He continues by saying this. So when your faith remains strong, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. We often talk about Jesus receiving praise and glory and honor. Look at what Peter says here. He says, who does he say? You will receive much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ... Is revealed does anybody here want to receive much praise and glory and honor on the day when jesus christ is revealed i do i want to experience that and i tell you what i want to experience i want to experience god saying well done you great faithful servant you stuck it out when the going got tough the tough got going in you when you were in trouble and trial you leaned on me when you ran out of strength you leaned on my strength when you ran out of road you walked my road that's what i wanted to say by god's grace he will say it. Can I get an amen? amen. amen. Pray for me. <laughs> you go, what? Okay, thanks, Michael. Thanks for sharing all that. Amen. But I'm still trying to figure out exactly what's going on. Mm-hmm. And then Paul explains it to the Roman Christians in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. One of the most famous passages in the scriptures. Here's what he says to them: He says, For we know that God causes Everything. How many things? Everything. How many things? Everything. To work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. So whatever the heat you're in, whatever the trouble you're in, whatever the trial you're in, whatever problem you've got, God is able to work it together for your good because you love him. That's why he works it out for good. The Bible is full of too too many stories of people who found themselves in difficult situations, but God used the situation to change the person. The best story in all is the story of Joseph. Joseph, he was betrayed by his brothers. He was then put into slavery. He ended up in prison. And eventually, when God was ready... He went to the palace and he became a ruler in Egypt. But it was only after all of that process, at any stage, God could have said, no, that's enough for a test. But he wasn't ready until God said he was ready. Again, I have to repeat, God doesn't bring the problems into your lives, but he does use the problems to change Amen. who Amen. you are. Who you are. And I love, he causes everything to work together for those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. How, how does this work out? So, so let, me, let me give you an example. Here he goes on to say this. This is what he says. He says, for God knew his people in advance. He knew you in advance. He knew what he was doing. He's working to a plan. He knew you in advance. And he chose them to become like his son. Like Jesus. That's what he wants you to become like. Just like Jesus. No, when I was a young Christian, I heard this story, and I thought, "What? I was about a Christian for a week and a half, and all the Christians, the Christians were on." Hairy fellows he with beards and sandals and this church. And so they got saved. Real hippie coming stuff. But I got saved. In they were all like dirty and hairy and everything. But, but it was fantastic. And, but they kept on saying, we're going to be like Jesus. And I thought, they've already started with the beards and the sandals, you yeah? They're trying to be like Jesus. And they said, one day when we get to heaven, we're going to be like Jesus. And I thought, yes, we're all going to have sandals and beards. Even the women are going to have beards. They're going to look like Jesus. But that's not what he meant. They're going to look like what Jesus was. And what was Jesus? He was full of the Spirit, full of the Spirit. Now, what is the fruit of the Spirit? Anybody? Galatians five twenty-two. No, Anyone? Joy, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self self-control. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. <laughs> love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. What we're <laughs> Patience, kindness, goodness, 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 self-control. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Jesus was full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's what he was full of. He was full of that spirit. And that's what we are going to become like But Do you know how that happens? Do you know how you find, how you grow in love being around fairly unlovable people? We can be fairly unlovable ourselves at times, can't we? Yeah, it's close in prayer now. We can be unlovable ourselves. How do we grow in patience? Because we're in situations where we need great patience to endure some trials in some circumstances. How do we grow in joy? How do we grow in joy? We're in situations that demand that we must be joyous because they're not very joyous situations. We choose joy. We choose to grow in joy. We choose to grow in love. We choose to to grow in self control and patience and kindness and the whole lot. Are you with me? That's the Jesus that's being formed. If you ever wonder, like, he's there, he's forming Jesus in me. Like beer and kind of a little kind of person inside my chest or something. No, that's forming Jesus in me. You with me? Yeah. Okay. And that's what he planned to do in advance, and he is causing all the things in your life that are happening to you, happening on the outside of you to form that person inside of you. Hallelujah, God's a master craftsman. Paul writes to the Ephesians and says, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which he planned in advance for us to do. Let me head somewhere towards a bit of a wrap up. Here is what Corrie ten Boom, Corrie ten Boom was a a Christian. She was carted off by the Nazis during World War II. She spent her time, um, I said Auschwitz, I'm not 100% it was Auschwitz, but in one of the Nazi death camps, but she survived, yes she was Auschwitz, she survived Auschwitz, she was in a Nazi death camp, and while she was there she talked about how, even though the circumstance was absolutely dreadful, the worst possible circumstances, you never knew when you got up in the morning whether you would be dead that evening, you just had no idea what was coming to you on any given day. Here's what she said to us. She said, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. But if you look Amen. at Christ, Hallelujah. you'll be at rest. Amen. If you look at Christ, even in the midst of all of the troubles and trials that we experience, keep your eyes on him. He is the author and the finisher of your faith, right? Paul writes Paul to the Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. He says, let's run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. And the next phrase he use is brilliant because it's something that we need to keep in our hearts. It says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorned its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the Father. He didn't go through the cross because he liked suffering. He didn't go through the cross because he, he, uh, he just wanted to do it for the crack. He didn't go through the cross because it was going to be great fun. He went through the cross for the joy that was set before him. And that's what the disciples and that's what the writers are saying to us. We go through these trials and these struggles and these problems and these situations and we keep our on Jesus for joy that is set before us because God is at work in us and is bringing us to his desired end. Amen? We'll get to his desired end in a second. Before I finish on this message, I want to just bring attention to one passage of scripture from the book of Acts. Now, I probably could have preached the whole sermon on this particular passage, but as I read it on Friday, I know that God spoke to me through it, and he spoke to me through it, and I wanted to bring it to your attention this morning. Sometimes, when we are in trouble, or when we are in trial, or when we are in a situation, we just want to escape. We escape in different kinds of ways. Sometimes escape is walking out in a relationship. Sometimes escape is walking out on the job. Sometimes escape is getting involved in escapist activities, alcohol, drugs, sex, distraction on social media, distraction by television. We just want to escape the situation sometimes when when we are in the middle of trials. But sometimes escaping is the worst thing that we can do. In Acts chapter 27, we read the story of Paul sailing to Rome. And when Paul is sailing to Rome, the ship he's on encounters a storm. And it was a trial and a test for Paul too, and for everyone who was on board. And we read that the storm went on for 14 nights, two full weeks they were in the storm. Gray skies, wind, rain, uh, hurricane force winds. It was going on for two weeks. The ship was battered. The ship was on its last legs. They threw the cargo overboard. They threw the ship's tackle overboard, just trying to stay afloat. And then finally, they come within sight of land. But just before they come within sight of land, the Lord speaks to Paul, and the Lord says to Paul, I am going to spare the life of everyone on this ship, but the ship is going to run aground. But everyone's life will be spared, provided you stay on the ship. And so Paul tells the ship's captain, listen, God has spoken to me and he's told me that this ship is going to make it. We're going to have to run aground, but everyone is going to survive provided we stay with the ship because the ship was God's vehicle to bring them to his desired end. I hope you can see where I'm going there now. So you're in a ship, you're in a storm, you're in a trial, and that ship is there. But this is what happened. It says the sailors tried to abandon the ship. This is after Paul said this. The sailors tried to abandon the ship. They lowered down the lifeboat as though they were going to pull out anchors from the front of the ship. So they kind of sneakily went up to the front, said nothing to no one. Said, "This is it. I'm getting out of here." Lower down the boat there, quick, Vesuvius, Gaius. Come on, get your hands on that there. Let's lower it down. And they were going to escape the ship on the quay when nobody was looking. But this is. But Paul said to the commanding officer and to the soldiers, "You will all die unless." The sailors stay on board, and so the sailors cut the so the soldiers cut the ropes of the lifeboat and let it drift away. Sometimes we contemplate lifeboats in our lives. We think we can escape. I just need to get out of this situation. My head is wrecked. My heart is. Hard. My body is sore, I just need to get out of this situation. But if these sailors had gotten into that lifeboat, that lifeboat would not have been a lifeboat, it would have been a (coughs) death. It would have cost all of their lives. And sometimes when we want to escape, and sometimes when we want to walk out of a trial, or we want to walk out of a trouble, or we want to walk out of a circumstance, Sometimes we want to walk away and remember it's not just us who's on the line here. Sometimes it's the people who are, I hate to use the the metaphor, it's the people who are sailing with us who are going to suffer the price as well. If, God forbid, my wife decided to walk out on me tomorrow, she might have good reason to do that. But if she did, it wouldn't be just me who'd pay the price. She'd pay the price. Our sons would pay the price. Our wider family would pay the price. Remember, it wasn't just about the sailors. And your life and your situation isn't just about you. And remember, what's even more? People are looking at your life. And you're saying, I'm a Christian. And you're going to say, I'm going to stand and go through this storm, whatever happens. I'm not going to take the escape route. And God wants to speak to some of you here this morning. And I know it's a very live thing for some of you here this morning. Because God has spoken clearly to me about it. and He wants to say to say do not take the escape route out of this situation stay with the boat and let me deliver all of you let me deliver you stay in the boat no, that may be your church your home, your work I don't know what your situation is but you know what that situation is and that word of God is speaking directly to you right now and you know it is that okay? I'm going to leave that there with you we'll return to it in just a second let me just finish up by saying this. Paul said, for the reward that was set before Jesus, for the joy that was set before Jesus, he endured the cross. We are also pursuing a reward, brothers and sisters. We've already talked about the reward of glory and honor and praise before God at the last day. He also talked about this. Peter writes, continues on, let's finish off the verse from Peter. Maybe the worship band will come up. This is what he says. He says, the reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. So it's it's not just the, the, in the moment. It's not just about even your character. It's about the salvation of your soul itself. That will be the reward if you keep trusting in him in the middle of the storm, in the middle of the trial, in the middle of the problem, in the middle of the trouble, in the middle of the situation. Are you with me? Will you stand with me? We're going to sing. And we're going to pray. We're going to sing. We're going to pray. I love when Paul says, God is working all things together for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose for them. But that doesn't mean that we understand what's going on. It doesn't mean that we can see quite clearly what's going on. But this is what it does mean. It means that we know that he is at work, even when we don't understand it. Even when we don't see it, he is still at work in our lives. Can I get an amen? I can I ask you, can we close our eyes just for a moment? We're going to sing in just a second. We're going to sing in just a second. If you're here this morning, and for you, the idea of escaping from the trial of the problem that you're in is a very real thing. For you today, you have been contemplating a great escape from your trial and your trouble. Instead of standing still and letting God do what he needs to do in you, instead of keeping the shoulder down and the head down, you want to escape and get out of your situation, whether that is a relationship or a work problem, whether it's a home problem, I don't know what your situation is, you know it, and you know I've got it. With every eye closed in the room, and that's your situation, you say, Lord, I wanna say to you today, I really do want to escape, but today I hear your voice, and I'm gonna trust you for the future in the middle of this trial. If that's your admission, if that's your prayer, if that's your request this morning, will you raise your hand to heaven so that I can see it? With every eye closed. I see your hands all over this room. I see your hands all over this room. I see your hands all over this room. Let me just ask you one other thing. If you're here this morning, you want to say, Lord, I don't understand all the problems in my life. All I know is that you're up working me. And I want, you to, I want you to say this morning, Lord, will you continue to use my trials to transform me? Will you continue to use what's happening to me to change what's happening in me.